0: This is Lee Wilkins, your co-host with Thinking Out Loud, and our topic for this week is care of man and woman's best friend, namely your pet. I'm here in the KBIA studios with Dr. Richard Meadows. He's a curator's teaching professor and a doctor of veterinary medicine at the medical school, and his specialty is pets, and especially household pets. So Dr. Meadows, welcome.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Glad to be here.
0: So um, there's a lot to cover, because, but I'm going to start with just some basics. Um, So you think about having a dog, and I think most people think that basically you have to feed them and love them. But there's actually some veterinary stuff that needs to go on as well. So you want it for, for your average dog who's neither overweight nor underweight nor sick. What are the sorts of things that pet owners should be doing?
1: Well, one of the biggest things here in Missouri, we are, you know, we're we're blessed to have the rain we have and the weather we have, but we also have lots of parasites, uh, intestinal inside parasites, fleas and ticks, and all the associated diseases they carry, and unfortunately, heartworm disease. So probably some of the, the, the best investment they could do is to do those preventative things because, as I think Ben Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so if you do some of those normal preventative medications, which these days are very safe, you can really save your pet and save you a lot of heartache and a lot of money in the long run.
0: So I know that, so I have dogs, as we've we've talked about before, so I know they get heartworm once a month. Mm -hmm. And then once a year they get, the vet checks them, takes Mm -hmm. a blood test to make sure that the heartworm has been effective. Right. Um, is that pretty standard at this point for most animals in Missouri?
1: Yes, I mean, and the heartworm preventative is is quite good. Um, owners are not always as good as giving it every thirty days, so it's you know I would compare it if you're doing family planning, you better take you better take attention, pay <laughs> attention, right? And and so if you're not giving the heartworm preventative, it does no good inside of its package.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, and I and and I'm guilty as the next person of going oops, I was supposed to do this three or four days ago, and I know three or four days is not a big deal, but two or three months would actually be a pretty big deal for a pet, right?
1: Right, and it used to be more of an issue for people that came from the north that they only did it during the summer. Um, The American Heartworm Society has been preaching on that for a long time, that that's not adequate. That's an outdated Thing.
0: Well, and especially in Missouri when we right. have this warmer climate and this wetter climate.
1: Right. And, and the thing that's misleading for most people is that from the time that dog gets exposed to that mosquito carrying the heartworm until it comes down with, with heartworm disease is at least six months. So they can literally develop heartworm disease on the coldest day of the year. Uh, you had to be planning ahead of time. And so and you have a little window of time to get that to get those babies before they turn into adults. Um, and if you, so even if they got exposed right then, uh, and say here in August, they need, they need to have that preventative for a few months after that to keep it from turning into adults, which then, uh, treating adult heartworms is something we do on a regular basis, unfortunately, but it's expensive. It's, it's, uh. Uh, it's a bit more risky. It's a it's a, a lot more problematic because it takes at least six months to do.
0: Well, and it's I, and at least if I understand it right, it's hard on the dog. Once Absolutely. they get sick, Absolutely. it's it's a it's a tough it's a it tough can kill course.
1: Them. Yeah. Absolutely, can't kill
0: them. So, and you then you mentioned my favorite Missouri animal, that would be the tick, mm-hmm. um, because we live out in the country, which means our dogs are out, which means the ticks get on them and then the ticks come in. Right. So in general, what sort of tick preventative should folks be doing, especially maybe not so much country folks, but city folks? What should What should folks who have their dog in a more urban setting be thinking about?
1: Well, what I what I have, um, what I do with my own pets right now, and what we're doing with more and more of our own clients' pets, is there is um, there are four different products, and they're com- they're competitive commercial products that are oral once every month, just like the heartworm preventatives. A lot of them, there you give one pill once a month, a chewable tablet, whatever, kills fleas and kills ticks. There are collars that they can wear. Uh, a lot of cats are not big on collars. Um, <laughs> some um, dogs
0: aren't big on them some either. Big on, yeah <laughs> and,
1: and, if, and if you do those collars, they, they have to be on really tight to work. And, and so but there's a number. That's one of the nice things about uh, our, our students right now I tell them that it's nice that they live in the age they live in because you, you go I've been doing this for 40 years, been around it for more than 50 years. 40 years ago, it was a question of which one was more toxic, the tick or the medication. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a toss-up sometimes. But, but nowadays, there's really safe, safe medications out there, a whole lot safer, because ticks are walking bags of disease.
0: So we got monthly heartworm, monthly flea and tick prevention, just in the, the course of the normal year. What else should be doing? I be doing to keep my canine happy?
1: Well, one of the biggest issues that we see, in the you know the pampered pests that we deal with on a on an average basis, right?
0: We're going to come back to that, so you can tell me what yeah, that means. But, well,
1: but most of them have a better life than you and I do. <laughs> they're not working; they're taking a nap right now, and and so. But anyway, one of the bigger problems that we see is obesity. Okay. They, I mean, the the dog and cat foods are are really nutritious. I mean, we we would be better off if. And my wife and I talk about this a lot. uh, You know, we we have 100% complete and nutritionally balanced food for our dogs and our cats. Right. Our diet is not.
0: Yes, that's right. right. And so if your diet winds up on the floor and your dog gets it or you feed off your plate... Or whatever. I mean, is that sort of the cause of obesity, or is it is it like humans? It's it's what you eat and how much you move and all that other sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, obesity in its very simplest form is too many calories, not enough exercise. Yeah. And there's lots of mitigating factors and.
0: So how am I to tell if my dog is overweight?
1: There, you know, actually there are there are good things that one way is to ask your veterinarian, obviously, but but another way is you can you can look up online. Um, some of, there there are body condition scores they're called. Um, um, there's a number of them. Each one of the major pet food companies has their own, and, and they're just color guides that that have little ways for for you to look at the computer screen and measure how much back fat do they have? Do they? And, and, you, and some of this is common sense if you think about it too. When I was young, I was skinny. I had I had a you know my waist sucked in below my ribs. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there should too.
0: Yeah, so I was going to say my yeah. My vet has a thing that says the dog is supposed to have a waist, mm-hmm. so which works mm-hmm. really well for two of our three dogs. The other one is just roly poly. Right. Um, so okay. So so look it up online. Check. Mm-hmm. Um, ask your vet. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the move part, I mean, so my dog sits with me on the couch, um, or on my head, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I assume some of it's also make sure your dog gets some regular exercise. Right. And so, how do I go about doing that other than putting the dog on the leash and heading out the door?
1: Well, that's that's probably the best way. Uh, I I literally grew up around uh, in veterinary medicine, and and back in the '60s, long before it was in vogue, uh, my mentor. Told, was telling people to take your dog for a walk it's good for both ends of that leash <laughs> and, and it is and so that's that's an absolutely great way but but also they're motivated so if you want to pull up a chair in the backyard and throw a frisbee to them mm-hmm. or at them and let them go retrieve it you know you can you can have the beverage of your choice leaned back in your recliner and the dog will exercise and they'll be having a good time at it most of the time. If they're in, as long as they don't have some kind of medical issue, right? Um, and or even inside, you know, throw throw toys to them, and and they're they're childlike in many ways, so they they will get a kick out of that, and 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 that's that helps improve their attitude, which quite often is infectious, and helps improve your attitude.
0: Uh huh. Okay. Um, and I know that for some pet owners, and I don't know whether this is becoming more popular or less popular. Or I've just become more aware of it, but they're also like dog sports like agility and obedience and right. and things like that which right. involve dog exercise but some of them involve people exercise too. Mm-hmm. And so do you ever recommend that do you, do you see that as a as a kind of a trend or anything?
1: Oh, it's very much a trend. And, and particularly in, in a town like Columbia where there you know there is more of a exercise culture than perhaps some other places and and uh, um, so yeah, it, and it's 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 very common for dogs, uh, for pets, to have an exercise program or the owners are into fitness and the dogs get drugged into that too. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, uh, really, mutual exercises, I'm, I, I try hard to sell that because it truly is good. It's, um, and, and as I know, when I, when I got up at 4.30 this morning to make it to the gym, I didn't really want to get out of bed, but when I got through exercise and I was glad I did,
0: Exactly. Right. Yeah. It wasn't
1: easy to get up. I had to go to work, and I had to make time for that, but but at the end of that, I felt better.
0: Okay. So when we were setting up this interview, we said we wanted to save some time to talk about two things. So I'm going to introduce the one that, that is, I think, pricklier right now and then the one that's dearest to your heart next. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy. We we have a, a puppy at our house We've, for about 16, 17 months, and the first thing the breeder told me was, well, I want you to feed no grain dog food. So I took the puppy to the vet for the vet appointment, just like you're supposed to do. And I said, well, the breeder says they're supposed to do this, but I've never done this before with a dog. And my veterinarian had something different to say about that. So right. I guess what I what I wanted to sort of start with is, what does it mean to have a no grain dog food? And then as a veterinarian, what is the research and what are you seeing about Dogs who are fed this way or this kind of diet and their overall health and life expectancy and that sort of thing.
1: Right. that That's a subject that most veterinarians will grimace about when you <laughs> ask them about it because they, they, they've been on the bandwagon. Most of us in general have not been on the grain-free fad.
0: Okay, and, I and do does think grain fair... free really mean grain
1: free? Yes, most of the time it does. Um, but what even a grain free food has carbohydrates in it. I mean, there's proteins and there's carbohydrates and there's fats, the three basic food constituents. Mm-hmm. And and so whether you get those carbohydrates from a potato or lentils, legumes like lentils or peas, right. um, the body does most of the same things with it. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're sitting on that couch and you ate a big load of carbohydrates, then it usually turns into fat. Right. Cats do it a little differently, but this we're talking dogs. And and so so all of those foods, even the grain-free foods, probably have as much or perhaps more carbohydrates in them. Okay. Right. But but and, and so where they get that carbohydrate, one of the things that I would tell you that the that the science is early. The science, but the science is concerning, and what the FDA, as you're aware, has just said is that um, this, this form of, of heart failure called dilated cardiomyopathy mm-hmm. that is related to an amino acid. It's not essential. We can make it in our body. Um, we can. Dogs and people can. Cats cannot. That, that is called taurine. And there's another one related called carnitine. Well, anyway, what we know is that grain-free diets, these dogs that are developing dilated cardiomyopathy that are not genetically predisposed to this as some breeds are, 90% of them have been eating grain-free foods. What a lot of people have been led to believe through marketing and word of mouth and breeders and wherever is that you know, they have gluten sensitivity. They know that gluten makes them feel bad, glutes right. them up, that kind of stuff. That's almost a non-entity in veterinary, in, in dogs. Okay. There, there was a, uh, for a while, there were some Irish setters that had true gluten enteropathy, and it was really bad. The, the Irish Setters uh, Breeders Association has pretty much done away with that through selective breeding. So gluten sensitivity is really a rare beast in dogs.
0: Okay, so although I might be gluten intolerant, it's unlikely that my dog would be. That's correct. So is, is the grain-free food so, so, so marketed or pointed at gluten intolerance? I mean, some of the advertising that I've seen say your dog is basically descended from a wolf. Wolves don't eat grass. Wolves eat meat. Therefore, your dog should be eating meat, i.e. protein. Is Which, that you, is that right or if that, I got that gurgled?
1: That's <laughs> a lot of hyperbole. Okay. But if a wolf, for instance, catches a rabbit, uh huh, there's a lot of meat there, but that wolf eats that entire rabbit, including all the grass that was in that rabbit. Okay. And so that's where they get their carbohydrates. That's where they get their roughage. And the thing that a lot of people don't point out is that we hope that some of our pets, you know, for instance, we have a chihuahua or a miniature poodle. It might live to be 20. Yes. That wolf is probably going to live to be three. Okay. Okay. So did that diet really provide that wolf a long-term healthy healthy life? Probably not. And was it just diet related? No. The fact that there's, you know, it's living in the wild. Uh-huh. But 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 it's it's a rough place out there. And so from my simple perspective, what's happened is um, some of, some of the marketing geniuses, and I think that's an appropriate word for have have sold the American public a, a bill of goods about it's eat like a wolf, grain is evil, those kinds of things. And, and that, that doesn't equate to good nutrition. Good nutrition equates to are the right ingredients there in the right amount and, and for the right life stage and all that kind of stuff. And that's where veterinary nutritionists Come, come in. That's what they do for a living is balance that out.
0: So the veterinary nutritionist is, is going to recommend what in, in terms of a diet for a dog that's a pet, but you want to have a long and healthy life. Right. What should that dog be eating?
1: Well, the, probably the biggest thing they, they need to be eating is something lower in fat than a lot of the foods over the grocery store counter. Okay. And in smaller amounts perhaps. In other words, not
0: so many table scraps.
1: Right. And a lot of dog food companies and 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 I'm not criticizing them, but they want that dog to run to that bowl with vim and vigor and and excite the owner as well as them about there's food in the bowl.
0: Okay. Well a
1: lot of dogs like fat. I mean, I love I love a steak with a big piece of fat around it, but I know that I really shouldn't eat that because yeah. you know I'm a poster child for a heart attack. And so, so, but if they add a lot of fat to that, that makes that much more palatable to the dog. Um, and so they they do things like that that are that are meant to to entice the dog, excite the dog, but they're not necessarily great for health.
0: So in other words, what you're saying is by enticing the dog, really, who's who's getting enticed is the owner
1: who right. sees
0: that, oh, my dog is eager to eat. And that's right. a good thing. We want our animals right. to be eager to eat.
1: That's correct. And, and the other part of the marketing is that, you know, when I ask some of my clients what their dog eats, they may be able to tell me precisely what their dog eats. But they may be able to tell me it's, you know, it's that bag with with it's that blue bag with the wolf on it. Yep. And they don't—they know nothing more about it. It's got a very appealing marketing ploy mm-hmm. on the front bag, on the front of the bag.
0: So when I go to the pet store, um, mm-hmm. and I'm presented—I when I was younger, maybe this was just the the, the image of a young kid—but there were not 50 different kinds of dog food. Correct. There was Purina, and after that, there was Purina, and right. so the, my childhood dogs had Purina. It was it was pretty right. straightforward. And this is not meant to be a commercial for Purina, folks. But now there are many, many different kinds of of dog food. And my vet has suggested a a couple of particular ones. Um, But let's say I'm confronted. I go into Petco or whatever, and there's 50 kinds of dog food. What should I be looking for on the label?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked that. There's there's a couple of things to look on, and it's quite often in the fine print at the very bottom of the bag. Great. Yeah. So you have to be (laughs) looking for this. Um, but your veterinarian can help help guide you with that. There is a an independent kind of the good housekeeping seal of approval group uh-huh. called AFCO, A A F C O, American Association of Feed Control Officials. So this is PhD and DVM veterinary nutritionists, researchers. Um, they're they're independent to a fault. Uh huh. All right. And and so what they do if if the when the when the food companies present that for a fee, obviously, present that food to them, they will look at it from a label standpoint to see if the right amount of fats there, the right amount of vitamins is there, is there enough taurine in there that we're talking about, all those types of things and see if it fits on the label as a complete and balanced diet for that young dog, that old dog, that pregnant dog, that puppy, whatever mm-hmm. the life stage is, and some of them are for all life stages. And so it'll tell you something there. That's the, that's the least level that you should look for. Is it AFCO food? I mean, is it AFCO label approved? Okay. The higher step, and some companies just simply can't afford this uh, because it is expensive proposition, is AFCO food trial approved. So what they do is these companies submit a bunch of food to this organization. They take and do a bunch of metabolic testing, all kinds of blood testing, bone density, on and on and on. You and I should be lucky to get such a physical. There we go. Right? And, and they, they test them out and see what their health is, what their bone density is, on and on and on. And then they feed them this food for six months. Okay. And they do all those testings again. They see what it does to their weight, how the label worked, I mean, what the the recommendations for amounts were, all these kinds of things. And they see if those animals maintain their health or develop any problems during that time. And this is a pretty good sizable group of of dogs, for instance. And if that works out, then it can be AFCO food trial approved. That's the premier... Way to go about it,
0: and, and and I find out whether or not my potential dog food is it has has received that level of approval by basically reading the bag,
1: reading the label, whether that's a can or a, a bag. Um, and if you have doubts, then you can obviously, in this day day and age, you can Google it and find out the helpline and call them and say, is it AFCO label approved? Is it AFCO food trial approved? And, and if, the, if the answer is no, they're probably going to try to rationalize that to you. Okay. Why it's not. And, and one of the perhaps valid rationalizations is, is that's a very expensive thing to do. Um, so some of these little boutique companies probably literally can't afford to do that. But the question I would ask folks is, Do you want to go with with a company that can't afford to do the research they need to to find out if that works for your dog or not? Because, Mrs. Jones, you've told me you want your poodle to live to 20, don't you think investing in food would be a good a good resource?
0: Well, and, and this is not to say either pro or con, but it is to say that some of those dog foods, I know because I've priced them, are more per pound than the steak that you and I would both be liking to eat. It's and so the dog, in many cases, is eating better than its owner might be. Absolutely, <laughs>
1: from, from a per pound price, but also as i referred to earlier how many people listening to this show can can raise their hand so to speak and say my balance my diet is balanced Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean i work around young folks i know their diet is not (laughs) balanced it's Pizza is not a balanced food.
0: Right, but they have a lot of years to recover, whereas you and I don't (laughs) don't know so much. Well, okay, so I promise because it's, I know it's a topic that's near and dear to your heart, and it kind of is to mine too, um, is to talk a little bit about the benefits of pet ownership, dog ownership, when it comes to how dogs make their people feel, if that's not too simplistic a way of saying it. Right.
1: Well, you know, in, there's there is actually if you if you are like I like to think I am at least a person of science and you you want to know what's what's the evidence for that and 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 a good scientific person should be very skeptical right so show me the data yes right anecdotes do not equal data then <laughs> then um, the, if you want to look at that the hum, the human animal interaction what's the positive benefits of that it's wide, it's deep, it's long, it's, it's, it's a very storied uh, area of research. There is lots and lots of evidence from the human side, from the veterinary side, that that is a beneficial, uh, in most cases, obviously. Uh-huh. There's dysfunctional just, there's just relationships in humans as well as humans well, and dogs. Yes, right. right. But, but in general, it's a very beneficial for the dog and the, and the person. And some of this might make sense to you if you think about it. They're social animals. Mm-hmm. at least some of us are social as well
0: right yes right?
1: and and so we and we and and we've been interacting for many thousands of years mm-hmm. kind of um, kind of gone with the flow over the years and adapted to each other and and so it, there's there's some really fascinating studies on what it does to the biochemistry of your body and your brain when you positively interact with an animal
0: and I'm assuming, but I since I have not read any of this research, I'm assuming it maybe has something to do with endorphins and maybe blood pressure or things like that.
1: Yeah, there's some really astounding work. Uh, it's 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 not anecdotal anymore, as as uh-huh. one of our one of our old uh, seminars used to say, that that um, being around a dog. As long as that dog likes you and you're not scared of that dog. So so for instance, my mother who was bitten in a face bitten in the face by a German shepherd when she was young is not a dog person. Right? I, I can understand that. Right, right. She's still scared of them to this day and she's ninety two. But when you when you positively interact, when that when that person and that dog positively interact, then what happens is that um, within just a short, short time, the blood pressure on that dog drops. Interesting. It, it usually takes, it can take up to 20 minutes for the person's blood pressure to drop. Uh-huh. Part of that is because one of the benefits of being around dogs is that they live in the moment, which oh, most of us would be better off if we could find a way to course. do that. Yeah, it of course, yeah, makes sense. Worrying about what's going to happen this evening or that argument you're going to have with your spouse later on, whatever. <laughs> and, and, and so their blood pressure goes down and that blood pressure drop is actually just a signal that positive changes have happened biochemically in your body. Endorphins, yes, they they change positively, but cortisol, the stress hormone, goes down. Um, And the longer that you've been interacting with that animal, the more the... The, the there's this whole cascade of, of hormones. I don't want to get too technical, but one of the one of the 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 chemicals that changes really easily, really quickly, is phenylethanolamine, which is reported to be the reason you give your significant other chocolates because it's high in phenylethanolamine. Oh, okay. That's that's a that's an old myth because it gets digested in your stomach. But but the, this phenylethanolamine is that is that young giddy kind of response that 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 instant attraction that you have for someone Uh you you don't know them but you know you find them very attractive and that's that's it's almost like a dopamine rush Uh huh. and in fact dopamine is one of those things so there's these short-acting chemicals that are positive and give you warm fuzzies if you will sure but then as you've gone on longer in that relationship now it tends more towards oxytocin and prolactin the things we think of as female hormones even males have them in small amounts. And that is more of the long term nature, I mean nurturing, excuse me, parental kind of thing. It's care. It's care. And it's <laughs> and it's that it's that mother child bonding mm-hmm. that, that that happens over time. And those are chemical changes that happen in your body that affect your brain. They happen in the, they happen in dogs too, because they're social social animals. And we and, and there's good evidence for that. I mean it's it's proven.
0: So in other words, if, even though my dog chews my slippers, right. um, probably overall, the interaction is it's making me a somewhat healthier person right. and it's making my dog a healthier dog.
1: Right. And, and one of the things that I like to talk about, too, is that and, and you probably experience you may experience this this evening when you go home, when, when you come home. Maybe your husband cares that you're home, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's busy. Um, your dog may treat you as as one of my friends says, he treats treats it like it's the second coming of Christ. you know, <laughs> he's excited. He's got that play bow. He's just really like he's hadn't seen you in forever. That's right. And, and if that doesn't make you feel good, well, I don't understand.
0: yeah, I think I think that's true. And I think the cats in a different way, but dogs right. especially, they're always glad to see you come through the door. You've always been gone forever. Right. It doesn't matter if you just went to check up the mail. you know <laughs> they're still really glad that you're there. That's
1: right. and and that, and that can't help but influence you positively for most people.
0: Okay. well Dr. Richard Meadows, this has been a great conversation. Hopefully people have picked up some information or at least some things to talk to their veterinarian about. We very much appreciate you coming to this evening on thinking out loud. This is Lee Wilkins, your co-host.